0: Thank you, Noel, and good evening everyone. It's really great to be with you, though it will be, I think, even nicer for those who can make it to be in person next week. But thank you for being with us here on Zoom. before I begin and pray, I just thought I'd mention a picture that sort of came to me quite vividly whilst we were praying before the service. Uh, In my former life as a journalist, I got to cover quite a lot of demonstrations over the years. And um, quite often what happens at demonstrations is there are um, places where particular campaign organisations will lay out a whole load of barricades. And people who are supporting a particular cause will be invited to just pick up one of the placards to take uh, on the march. And um, I just really felt as though God was saying to some of us this evening, It's time to to kind of pick up a new placard, because actually all of us are kind of carrying around, you know, a sign which kind of says what we're living for, whether it's for selfish ambition or material gain or status or power or or whatever. Um, But Advent, I guess, is a time when God invites us to consider again what that placard might look like. Um, So let's pray as we begin. Lord God, we thank you that you are gracious and that you are also our judge. And we pray that this evening would be a time when we can come before you with great joy, knowing the hope of our salvation. But that we would also be ready to fashion our lives appropriately in response to your call. And so we pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Well I don't know what Advent Sunday as a concept kind of makes you think of uh, perhaps your instinctive response is well uh, it's not yet December so can it really be Advent or Advent frankly sounds like one of those seasons in the church's year that my Christian life can happily do without. Uh, perhaps you do have a sense of this as a time for preparing for Christmas um, though this week uh, if you're students of church history you might be interested to know that I discovered that uh, apparently up until the fourth century there was quite a clear sense of Advent being a distinct season of penitence and fasting that had no particular relationship with Christmas. There we are. Um, Of course now we do think of Advent uh, in terms of preparing for Christmas not least with the theme of waiting and that sense of waiting is definitely part of the story but perhaps it's not The whole story. Um, One way into Advent, I think, is to notice that while most kind of anchor points through the Christian year are based on a historical part of the story. Jesus's birth or death or resurrection. Actually, Advent is not about a particular historical event. It's always causing us to think about this future hope, looking ahead, not just to the advent of Christ coming into the world at Christmas, but to the second Advent, the second coming, which, as our reading reminded us, is by definition at an hour that we don't expect. And an inescapable part of this news about Advent is the second coming of Christ, is judgment. Now, I've been uh, enjoying, over the last uh, week, uh, the writing of uh, a now quite elderly uh, priest and scholar from the United States called Fleming Rutledge and she's uh, collected together some of her Advent sermons and writing uh, under the title The Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ and she is um, very keen that we don't miss this sense of judgment as being really a significant part of this time uh, in the church's year. She also has uh, a few good jokes from her sermons Uh, and I'm going to share one. I mean, it's always a terrible preacher's dilemma to say that this is going to be a good joke, not least on Zoom, where you can't hear your uproarious laughter. But anyway, I heard a joke once about two men, she said. One of them invites the other to attend worship at his church. The other man said he never went to church because it was full of hypocrites. That's okay, said his friend. There's always room for one more. Do you get it? Yeah, well, I can see an uproarious response from the few people at the top of my screen. Uh, Ouch, though. But in a sense, that is the point, isn't it? That we are all, to some extent or another, a hypocrite. We are all sinners. And yet, thankfully, we are loved and forgiven hypocrites. Uh, And of course, the scandal of grace that we look forward to at Christmas is that we are welcomed regardless of what we've done. And God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. So If our heart is inclined towards jealousy, we might well find God's relentless generosity rather difficult to swallow. But when Paul writes to the Thessalonians, it seems that he's really desperate to remind them where they stand. You, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. But therefore, how are you choosing to live in the light of this reality? arguably the church as Fleming Rutledge complains has rather downplayed this theme of judgment uh, as the years have gone by and one tiny little example for you Uh, in the traditional book of common prayer marriage service uh, the priest just before the couple are about to make their vows says this to them I require and charge you As you will answer at the dreadful day of judgment, when the secrets of all hearts shall be disclosed, that if either of you know any impediment why ye may not lawfully be joined together in matrimony, that ye confess it. Now, in the more modern, more recent language service, the question is still there. But the mention of the day of judgment has been dropped. But what Paul is saying is that this day comes it is inescapable it is what the whole world will face but how does it look different if we face it as followers of Christ and number one we do so with hope and number two we have a con- we have a motivation for confessing the secrets of our hearts to God because we know or at least i hope we know the freedom that comes from true forgiveness so advent In part, is a time to look at ourselves, to use that phrase from the Book of Common Prayer, Marriage Service, to ask ourselves, what are the secrets of my heart? What are the things that I'm certainly not telling any other living person, let alone God? Are there those things for you? And is Advent a good time to examine those things and to bring them into the light? whether that's confessing, sharing with another person uh, or directly with God. So Advent is a time to think about these things personally, but it's also a time to think about this kind of global ultimate significance of what happens when Jesus is born in a manger, what that means for the whole of the world, not just at the first coming, but also at the second. And one of the things I've been enjoying about uh, this writer, Fleming Rutledge, is that she's really strong on the sheer attractiveness of God being a God of judgment. She actually has some pretty cutting stories about churches she's known in the US that are almost allergic to talking about God as a God who judges. But instead, uh, she is pointing out why she thinks the promise uh, of judgment actually is a promise that gives hope beyond the current situation that we face and I'm just going to read I only have one direct quote apart from that joke uh, from her this evening but I'm going to read one paragraph um, written interestingly in 2010 but it sounds as though it could have been last week you see the world was not created to be the way it is we are not supposed to be reading and hearing bad news every day The world is not supposed to be filled with earthquake, fire and flood with plague, pestilence and famine to use the language of the Older Book of Common Prayer. Oil spills were not part of our creator's plan for our planet. Cancer was not part of his plan for humanity. It was not God's plan that humanitarian aid workers should be shot point blank by the Taliban. Murderous drug cartels were not part of his plan And the rapacious American appetite for cocaine that keeps the cartels in business was not part of his plan. And then she ends with this, I think, pretty amazing question. Is it not good news that God will judge all of this? Is it not good news that God will judge all of this? What do you think? It seems to me that that is part of the hope, that whatever our current suffering, that there is a future promise, that God will, he sees it all and he will redeem it. So if we go back to verse three of our passage, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly, or in the New Living Translation, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape." Well, the mothers among you know that there is no escape from those labor pains, uh, unless you've gone in for an elective C-section, I guess. Uh, But let me tell you, uh, as a father of three, uh, every time the onset of labour pains began. Uh, I found it a highly unsettling experience. Uh, I mean, of course, there wasn't much that I could do particularly, uh, but I hated the lack of control. Uh, You know, all I could do was kind of offer a jelly baby and, uh, you know, try and rub the back of the neck at the right way, you know, and then get shouted at and unspeakable language, but that's perhaps too much information. But but the thing is these labour pains are unpredictable but unmissable. How many of us, to use this phrase from earlier, everything is peaceful and secure, the people are saying. How many of us or how many of the people that we know have essentially been trying to say that in their lives? But 2020, COVID, has shown emphatically that that is not the case. Everything is not peaceful and secure. We cannot carry on pretending that the world is somehow okay, And that's whether we're thinking... As we will as a church tomorrow night about humans how humans treat each other as regards race uh, or indeed how collectively we treat the planet everything is clearly not peaceful and secure and for me actually as i look back on this strange old year of coronavirus one of the things that i find myself really reflecting on and kind of leaning on is the way in which the christian gospel does offer a distinctive and robust hope in the midst of despair. Of course, we don't get a free pass from suffering. And I know that for many on this call, the road has not been easy. But the hope, I pray, uh, is undiminished through it all. And I hope that our church, alongside many other churches, has shown that this is a real and meaningful hope, actually because it's a hope that finds us. Jesus finds us and then blesses us with a strength with which we simply wouldn't be able to carry on were it not for our faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul says we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake, constantly ready for what is to come and confident that we have resources to meet these challenges. Now, among the Thessalonians, and this was probably Paul's earliest letter, there was real concern about what would happen if you died before Jesus's return. Now, the return of Jesus, the second coming that we think about in this season, has of course turned out to be a much longer wait than some early Christians first envisaged. But it seems to be saying that Paul, in this passage, is urging those who hear him, to be ready whatever the time scale. And notice how this discussion, without avoiding the reality of judgment, without avoiding the challenges that people face, it ends positively. It ends with a, a proactive encouragement. Put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are those who meet him from a point of of death or life, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. You might say that Paul has a kind of unwavering hope in God's ultimate agency in God's ultimate ability to order all things even in the face of humanly speaking what looks like despair so my encouragement is that in Advent we need to look at ourselves and ask am I ready for Christ's return in other words now today am I living for the kingdom is the kingdom visible in and through my life Actually, I do have one final quote from Fleming Rutledge. She doesn't mince her words when she writes this. The wrath of God and love of God are two faces of the same thing. The world will be purged of its iniquity in the consuming fire of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the kind of Advent promise and hope is that. All that is wrong will somehow miraculously be righted when Jesus returns. And those who have put their trust in him can trust and have hope in that ultimate moment. But Paul is saying now, today, live in the light of that. So you might like to think of it uh, in this way, that in Advent, we are called to ask, how should my life look? In the light of the first coming. And what do I need to change even now in readiness for the second?